Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Red Maryland Radio, the Red Maryland Network's flagship show. Here are your hosts, Brian Griffiths and Greg Klein. Western shore of Maryland, where it is bucolic in ways that Maryland can only be bucolic the day that it's almost 50 degrees after a snowstorm dropped four or five inches of snow in the ground. Along the banks of the semi-historic Magazine River, you are listening to the Voice of Maryland, Maryland's leading conservative talk show, the best damn political show in Maryland, Red Maryland Radio on the Red Maryland Network. I am your host, Brian Griffiths. With me in studio tonight is absolutely nobody. Greg Klein is uh is has to work tonight. Uh, he has to do big time lawyer stuff. And uh, and you'll note it's actually been a bit of a month for us here at the network. I'll, let me explain because last week Greg was supposed to fly solo on the show. He had um, technology problems. I know that's shocking to you because Greg Greg loves technology. So he wasn't able to to do the show, and then this week he had to work. So we, we, next week, uh, we'll pr- I promise you, we'll have a uh, we'll have a brand new show next week where Greg and I are in the same place at the same time. Except it'll be Tuesday next week because next week's Holy Week, and we're trying to make sure that we get a show in for you. So just know, next week Red Maryland Radio will air live on Tuesday here on the Red Maryland Network. Hey folks, we got a lot to talk about here tonight. Uh, we're talking talk about guns and why Democrats in Maryland are on their heels about it. We'll talk a little more about the General Assembly, uh, including talking about some Republicans <laughs> who probably should have known better. We're also talk uh, uh, bringing you the results of the latest Red Maryland poll. Our March poll is out, and uh, the results are complete. So we will talk a little bit more uh, about all of that. And um, it's the seventh anniversary of the Red Maryland Network this week, believe it or not. So a little reflection about that and some interesting stuff that we're going to do kind of in celebration of that. We're taking your phone calls, by the way, at 760-259-2711 if you want to join and be part of the conversation. That's 760-259-2711. Now, last week, obviously, um, you know, a lot of the new, uh, you know, last week or so. A lot of the news has been dominated, of course, by by gun violence in the schools, really, the last month. And, of course, on Tuesday, we saw the shooting at, at Great Mills High School, okay? And the, the, the reaction to this has been very interesting, both kind of in a national sense and, and kind of in a statewide sense. First off, you have seen absolutely nothing about this nationally. Realistically, I mean, obviously, we're getting inundated with this here in the state of Maryland because it is a local news story for us. But 
you're not seeing a lot of this play out on on the national level. You're not seeing the faces of uh, you're not seeing the faces of the victims. You're not really seeing information about the shooter. You're not talking. You know, you've seen all the coverage about what happened at Marjorie Stoneman High School, and obviously, what happened at Marjorie Stoneman is a is a tragedy. Um, you know. With 17, you know, 17 fatalities and much more being shot. But what happened in – the difference between what happened at Marjorie Stoneman and what happened in Great Mills are very striking indeed, and I doesn't think it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out the differences and why you're not seeing a lot of discussion about this in the media. One, obviously at Marjorie Stoneman, we know – killed 17 people. There's only one fatality at the Great Mills shooting, and that was the shooter himself, and we're not even sure yet. If uh, you know if the shooter killed himself or if he was killed by return fire, hold that thought. We'll get to it in a second. With the other big issue, of course, is the fact that we have this, the issues regarding the police officers at the individual schools. At Marjorie Stoneman, the chicken, the chicken and police officer, um, you know, the police officer who couldn't be bothered to actually do what he's supposed to be doing, which is to defend and protect. The, uh, the people who are in his charge cowered in a corner and waited for other people to come do his job for him. The school resource officer at Great Mills engaged the shooter, opened fire, and possibly you know, made the fatal shot that killed him. Certainly, the, uh, the police resource officer at, at Great Mills stopped additional violence that could have occurred. Okay, I don't think anybody's doubting that. You know, that officer is a hero, and that man should never buy a beer for the rest of his life. The third thing, of course, too, is the fact that Florida has much looser gun laws than Maryland does. It's a lot easier to buy a gun, regardless of what type of gun you're trying to buy, than it is in the state of Florida. Now, I'm sorry, in the state of Maryland, rather. Now, the shooter at Great Mills had a nine millimeter, you know, it was a pistol, and he is not legally allowed to possess. That gun in the state of Maryland. There are already laws banning him from ownership of that gun. There are laws banning him from the use of that, from carrying that gun, or even using that gun outside of a controlled setting. You know, obviously, if you're talking about hunting or going to the gun range, you know, that's one thing. But the 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 shooter, the student, is not allowed to carry the weapon. It's not allowed to buy the weapon. It's not allowed to own the weapon under state law. Now, as it turns out. We do know that the shooter obtained the weapon from his father. Now, there are obviously various you know, questions that still remain to be answered about that. Did he, did he break into the gun safe? Was the weapon properly, you know, properly locked up? Did the father give the weapon to the student? We don't really know any answer on any of these questions, but it exposes a fatal flaw in the logic that Democrats have when it comes to gun laws in the state of Maryland. You have seen time after time after time where Democrats in the General Assembly believe that passing new gun laws is going to solve gun crime, that passing additional restrictions on who can own a gun, who can buy a gun, what type of guns are available, is somehow going to fix the problems of crime in the state of Maryland, particularly as it relates to Baltimore City. 
If you guys remember HB280 or SB281, that's the, the infamous gun bill on passing the O'Malley administration that severely tightened restrictions on the ownership of weapons here in Maryland. It hasn't done darn thing to stem gun, gun crime. It certainly didn't stop the shooter from obtaining a weapon in the Great Mill situation. It certainly hasn't stopped any other shooters from getting weapons. Democrats, I think, are finally starting to realize what's going on here. Democrats are finally think starting to see that the game is up when it comes to their ability to just run the table on gun laws and just say passing new gun laws is going to make things better. Because time after time, that's shown to not be the case. Time after time, we have seen where new gun laws don't do anything to stem the tide of crime here in our great state. Again, to be the half of it, however, when it comes to the Democrats being on their heels. Because you see, the Democrats obviously um, cannot argue in this instance that SB 281 worked. Okay, And look, there are a variety of other reasons why people can set point to SB 281 not, work, not working, not the least of which the fact that gun crime in the state of Maryland has gone up since SB 281 passed. We've yeah, we've we've documented that at redmaryland.com. All the Democrats, all of the you know, all the piss ants like Vinnie DeMarco, who are out there, uh, you know, who are claiming this great victory, have shown that they don't care about people; they just care about Democratic victories. Because if they cared about people, they wouldn't be celebrating what SB 281 has done to gun crime. But what looks even worse for the Democrats? What makes them look even dumber is the cell phone. That they got when it comes to school safety, because you see, and, and you know, there has been some back and forth discussion about this. You know, there has been, um, you know, people, you know, left wing bloggers funded by dark money have been complaining that this has been a politicized issue, but it's a very important issue, and it's one that people need to understand, and that's the fact that Governor Hogan, in the wake of what happened at Marjorie Stoneman down in Florida, uh, the Parkland shooting, proposed additional funding. And additional oversight for school security, one of many school reform issues that Governor Hogan has passed that the Democrats have, have said eh, no thanks to. It was the Democrats in the House last week in a partisan vote who rejected Governor Hogan's funding for additional school security measures. The fact that the Democrats actually voted against this was bad policy to start from. We have already seen time and time again, you know, we have already seen where the Democrats' new gun laws isn't doing anything. We've already seen that you are most at risk of being shot and killed by a gun when you're in a gun-free zone, like, say, a school. The fact that the Democrats didn't want to increase security measures – and look, security at schools is bad. Okay, I don't, I don't think people really understand you know, how bad the security situation is at school, and you can say uh, – you, know, you can argue one way or, or the other about whether or not you know, schools should be kind of on lockdown or not. But the fact of the matter is it remains bad, and the governor proposed a solution that the Democrats rejected out of hand. It is not a coincidence 
that the Democrats did this because, again, their focus is on politics, not people. So the fact that the, government, that the Democrats rejected this on Thursday and then a school shooting happens on Tuesday should wake the Democrats up, but it's not. Instead, something I wrote today and was posted at redmaryland.com, instead the Democrats are focusing more on taking power away from the Board of Public Works and handing it to an unelected body than they are in actually dealing with school security and actually dealing with a problem, you know, trying to solve the problem that we saw at Great Mills. This is a bad look for the Democrats, and they know that. Because it's one of many ways, many ways that Democrats have begun to realize that the gig is up and that people are starting to realize that what they say when it comes to guns is bunk. It's bunk. The Democratic base, Baltimore City voters, people who live in crime you know, areas of Baltimore County that have higher crime, are starting to realize that their crime rates haven't gone down. Their crime rates have gone up. That the gun laws aren't saving them. That gun laws aren't fixing any problems that we see in our state. That crime remains an issue of policing. And that the fact that guns are harder to get hasn't made it harder for criminals to get guns. We've seen it time and time and time again, and the Democrats just don't want to listen. The fact that they're on their heels now, though… It's a good thing, as I said, and hopefully in the future, not likely, but hopefully, fingers crossed, they will actually start to think about their actions in the future and will actually go ahead and try to, to, you know, to put forth policies that are actually going to deal with crime reduction instead of actually just you know, trying to make sure that their Democratic donors, their left-wing radical donors are happy. Because that's ultimately what happens here is that you have, you have radical groups you know, like – Moms demand, like every town, people who are just completely out to lunch when it comes to comes to guns, don't understand guns, don't know how to use them, don't know what they're for, don't understand the statistics. And these people are the ones who are driving policy because they can drive cash to campaigns. They can drive volunteers to campaigns. It all becomes a political issue. Hey, one other thing that is a political issue, by the way, uh, and it's one that's affecting Republicans right now, is the fact that you've got this this issue – Regarding red flag laws, I want to talk about that just for a brief second. Red flag laws in the state of Maryland, I think most people understand that there, there should be some sort of red flag law. A red flag law would have stopped the killer, you know, such as the Parkland killer. It would have stopped him from being to obtain a weapon. But we have issues you – know, what happened was is that, of course, there was a bait and switch on the language, and – some good – some people who were supposed to be good on guns voted for a bill that would be bad on guns that would basically mean anybody could tattle on anybody else and make them you – know, kind of deny them the ability to have a weapon. And that's a problem, as you know, well know. That's a problem for a couple of reasons. One, obviously it's bad policy that basically anybody can tattle on anybody else and hurt their ability to obtain a weapon. That's a problem. That's not something that you actually want to see because that, of course, takes away your constitutional liberty. But it's also a problem when some of our people are voting for bills, and they're not reading them. They're not understanding them, and it goes back to a couple of things. One, you have some legislators who are on autopilot, um, including some of our own, who are on autopilot and just kind of do what, do what they're told to do uh, without trying to kind of take the initiative and read the legislation themselves and make sure that everything's on the up and up. 
But also it shows, and I think Greg pointed this out nicely on um, on his uh, WGMD appearance this morning, as he appears every Thursday at 7.50 a.m., that, uh, you know, maybe there's too many damn bills. Maybe when you have 3,000 pieces of legislation that are introduced into the General Assembly, 3,000 pieces of legislation, okay? Pieces, three thousand pieces of legislation is. It's thirty-three and a third pieces per day of the general assembly session, and of course, not all of them are going to be heard, not all of them are going to pass, and some of them are never going to see the light of day. But there's too many bills, and that's not an excuse for the people who voted for this for the current existing red flag provision, the one that was trying to snuck in by Democrats to basically make it possible to deny any Marylander their right to own a weapon. We need to make sure that our legislators are on the ball, and I think they've kind of gotten the message now, and I think they're going to do good when it comes back. Obviously, the bill is not going to get out of the Senate this way. I'm not sure the bill is going to get anywhere this way, which is unfortunate because the Democrats, again, are sabotaging a good bill because they're just anti-gun zealots who don't give a damn about what happens to people. They just want people to take you know to lose their right to gun ownership, and you would think that they would start to learn their lesson about this you know, after showing that – Reduction, you know, making guns harder to get doesn't lower crime, but you know these people are zealots, and you can't really <laughs> you can't really tell them anything when it comes to guns and it comes to weapons. Why don't we go ahead and take a break, and we come back, we'll talk more about the general assembly session, uh, including a little bit about uh, a little bit about other Republicans who have made it, uh, who should have known better uh, than than voting against free market reforms. Stick with us. You are listening to Red Maryland Radio on the Red Maryland Network. We will be right back. Thank you for listening to the Red Maryland Network, Maryland's most trusted conservative voice. Be sure to listen to our programming throughout the week. On Monday, it's Conservative Refuge Radio with Greg Klein. On Wednesday, Red Maryland Network presents the best moments from our extensive Red Maryland library. On Wednesday, Red Maryland Network brings you the best moments from our extensive Red Maryland library. On Thursday, it's our flagship program, Maryland's leading conservative radio show, Red Maryland Radio with Brian Griffiths and Greg Klein. On Friday, Red Maryland News Director Dwayne Keenan takes you inside Annapolis and inside state politics with the Red Maryland News Hour. On Sunday, Red Maryland Editor-in-Chief Brian Griffiths brings you his take on the world with the air raid. And weekday mornings, Red Maryland brings you the best way to start your day, the Red Maryland Wake Up Call. You can listen to all of our Red Maryland Network programming on blogtalkradio.com. You can subscribe to our shows and leave us a five-star review on iTunes and our Stitcher. In a world where drinking and driving is a serious offense, you could spend time in jail and lose your license. You need experienced legal representation. You need The Litigator. For two decades, Greg Klein has been representing individuals charged with drunk driving throughout Maryland, and he is coiled and ready to pounce to help you. If you or someone you know has been charged with drinking and driving, contact The Litigator, Gregory M. Klein, at 410-541-6DUI. That's 410-541-6384 and check out the blog for more information at arundeldui.com
the Red Maryland Network. I am your host, Brian Krivis. Thank you very much for joining us in uh, for joining us on this week's episode of the show. A lot of stuff going on in the General Assembly right now. I hinted at it a little bit a couple minutes ago when we were, um, yeah, when we were talking in, about the gun issue. One of the things that's going on in the General Assembly right now is the fact that uh, the Democrats are just the Democrats just don't get it when it comes to education. Um, the story from the uh, Daily Record: Sweeping changes to how school school construction funding is approved would take power and the bully pulpit away from the governor and comptroller under a bill being considered in the House of Delegates. Changes to a bill meant to streamline and modernize a sometimes labyrinth process by which the state interagency committee approves and funds hundreds of millions of dollars of construction projects statewide, suddenly turning political, according to some. The Democratic chair of the House Appropriations – our chair of the House Appropriations agrees, but says it's in response to a member of her own party, Comptroller Peter French. We didn't make this political. Said Delegate Maggie McIntosh, the committee chair. The comptroller made it political. We're trying to take the politics out of the process. And by the way, it's always easy to decide which side made things political because it's usually the side that starts off with, we didn't make this political. Tuesday, McIntosh presented sweeping changes not covered in the not commission report, including removing all authority oversight on school construction funding by the Board of Public Works, a three-member panel that includes Republican Governor Larry Hogan, Francho, and State Treasurer Nancy Cott. The Interagency Committee on School Construction will be renamed as the Interagency Commission and be made fully independent of the Board of Public Works, which created the five-member panel in the early 1970s when then-Governor Marvin Mandel created a system of state aid for school construction and renovations. So this is <laughs> this is what the Democrats are doing right now, man. This is This is what they are doing. Instead of focusing on the real problems that we've got going on, they are focused on taking power away from the governor and giving it to an unelected, unaccountable board. Okay. And again, this just kind of goes to show I me mean, there's just, um, it just goes to show you there's so many things that are just kind of kind of an interesting thing that's going on when you look at this stuff. One, you're talking about the 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 general assembly trying to take more power away from the governor. Friends, Democrats only do this when they think that they're not going to get to exercise the power of the governor. The Democrats are only ever interested in taking power away from the executive branch when they don't think that a Democrat is going to be in the executive branch. This is a tell from legislative leadership that they expect Governor Hogan to be reelected. Okay? And and look, you've seen the dumpster fire of a Democratic field um, that's running for governor right now. So hey, if I was a Democrat, I'd be pretty confident Larry Hogan was going to get reelected too. If I saw the poll numbers uh, that came out recently that had the governor up 25 or more points against all these people, I would probably need a new pair of pants if I was a Democrat. But you know, that's another story in its entirety. You know, but the Democrats are playing politics with this stuff. Again, they vote against school construction, but at the same time, they're scheming to take power away from the Board of Public Works. The bill that they're talking about is likely unconstitutional because the Board of Public Works is given the power in the current constitution to approve any funding over a specific amount, and that includes school construction funding. So this bill 
that they are proposing would take that power away without changing the Constitution. The Democrats are just out and trying to violate the state constitution as they are often do, as they are wont to do, and they're doing it for crass political purposes. Okay. And look, you may have a beef. You know, and ultimately this comes down really to Governor Hogan and Comptroller Franjo, you know, asserting their authority at the Board of Public Works and trying to make sure that they, you know, that they are checking the authority of the General Assembly. The General Assembly is mad that Hogan and Franjo stand up to them and assert the powers that are given to them in the Constitution. Okay? That's ultimately where we're at with this. This is just a political pissing contest. That we're engaged in right now. This is just the Democrats throwing everything at the wall and seeing if they can stick it. What ultimately they're going to want – they're trying to get is they're trying to get a political issue for the governor's race so much as they have one and force the governor to veto the bill um, that would deal with the not commission and the bill that would um, – <clears throat> excuse me you know, and deal with the bill – that will that would streamline this process, and they're trying to do it. It's a poison pill to try to get the governor to veto the bill. And of course, the governor is going to veto the bill. The bill is unconstitutional. If it passes with that provision in there, he can't legally sign it, um, you know, any with any moral authority because the bill is unconstitutional, and the bill is just a naked political power grab. Where once again, Democrats are using students as pawns. But hey, look. Don't believe me if you talk about the priority, you know, prioritization of things. Okay, do you know what the Democrats are prioritizing right now? They're prioritizing election day registration, election day registration, or as kind of we like to call it at Red Maryland, the Democratic Voter Fraud Act of 2018. Same day registration means that there are no barriers to you or anybody else registering to vote in the state of Maryland on election day. And you don't think that the Democrats are going to try to steal the election with that? You don't think that the Democrats aren't trying to eye up exactly how they will try to, by hook or by crook, register everybody that they know, people whether they're from Maryland or not? This bill invites voter fraud. This bill just asks for trouble. And Maryland, may I remind you, is a state in which it is incredibly easy to vote. It's incredibly easy to vote in Maryland. You can go to vote, on, vote at the polls on election day. Can't do that. You can vote early at one of the early voting centers. Can't do that. Maryland has no fault absentee voting. Voter participation rates aren't going to go up if we pass same-day registration. The only way that voter participation rates going to go up is if Democrats bust people in from out of state and have them register and hope that they don't get caught. And yeah, that's what a lot of people think this bill is all about. It is incredibly, incredibly easy. Incredibly easy. Incredibly easy to vote. There's absolutely no reason to do that. Okay? There's absolutely no reason to pass this. But this is what the Democrats are prioritizing. You know, we're talking about you know, school shootings. We're talking about, you know, we're talking about corrupt, rampant corruption in Maryland schools, Prince George's County, Baltimore County, rampant corruption. These Democratic-controlled 
constituencies, and they're worried about election day registration. That's the only thing they're worried about, too. They're focusing on the banning conversion therapy. Okay? From Wikipedia, conversion therapy is the pseudoscientific practice of trying to change individual sexual orientation from homosexual or bisexual to heterosexual using psychological or spiritual interventions. There is virtually no reliable evidence that sexual orientation can be changed, and medical bodies warn that conversion therapy practices are ineffective and potentially seriously harmful. You know, does anybody have any proof this is actually happening in the state of Maryland? I'm, I'm dead serious right now. Is there anybody, anybody practicing conversion therapy in Maryland? Now, we have a lot of issues in in Maryland right now, okay? Um, a lot of issues. And do I think conversion, conversion therapy is, is stupid? Yeah, it's dumb, okay? It's, there is not... There is absolutely no reason that conversion therapy should, okay? But let's talk about some other things that are allowed to happen that Democrats you know, and their political allies do want to happen. They want to make it easy. You know, they want to not ban you – know, they, they passed the bathroom bill. Okay? They don't – they think it's appropriate for – school child to be able to choose their pronouns. They think that it is okay for children under the age of 18 to undergo hormone replacement. They think that it's okay for children under the age of 18 to have a sex change operation. Those things are child abuse, by the way, in, in my opinion. You know, if you're talking about having somebody who is, you know, who who is, you know, being allowed to change their sexuality, and of course you can't change your sexuality. It's a whole another story. Um, you know, this is what the Democrats think is a priority. Okay, ban conversion therapy, fine, but if you're going to ban conversion therapy. You need to ban sex changes under the age of 18. You need to block nonsense like this pronoun stuff. You need to block hormone replacement therapy for, students, for people under the age of 18 because that's nonsense and that's crazy, and you know it's just as nonsense and crazy as conversion therapy is. Okay. These are just some of the things that are going on in the General Assembly right now. You know, we're not talking about fixing the structural deficit. We're not talking about you know, lowering taxes. We're not talking about fixing corruption in schools that are run by Democrats. You know, we're not talking about school safety. We're talking about election day registration, and we're talking about conversion therapy. Oh, and we're talking about the fight for 15 too. Rich Madalino is making that a key function of his, um, you know, a, a key, you know, function uh, of his, um. Yeah, his gubernatorial campaign, despite the fact that you have people in places like Seattle writing articles for Maryland Reporter talking about how much the fight for 15 hurts them. And look, we've been dealing with this fight for 15 thing for a long time, okay? Um, and, and every time, every time this issue comes up, 
we wind up reminding people of the same things, is that you can't raise everybody's wages and expect people to have the job, and you can't expect that you're going to raise everybody's wages and think that prices aren't going to go up. There is going to be an inflationary factor if you introduce the $15 minimum wage. Prices are going to go up because the places that do need to pay these people more than $15, you know, pay multiple people $15 an hour, are going to need to have to cover the costs. The costs can be passed on to the consumer. Many of those consumers are people who currently work at the minimum wage. Some of those people are going to lose their jobs because those businesses can't afford to pay them anymore if they have a $15 minimum wage. And the Democrats, as always, do not care about this. They don't give a lick about the people they affect. Once again, it comes down to political posturing and making their donors happy because the people who are fighting for 15, they're not making minimum wage. They're not the ones who are going to suffer from job losses. They're not the ones who are going to suffer from inflationary factors through the increase in prices. They just think it's going to look cool, and they think it's going to help their bottom line, and they think it's going to help them on to the next left-wing radical political movement. Look, the whole reason that we're against the, the fight for 15 is because we want people to prosper. We want people to have jobs, and we want to people to get those entry-level jobs that they can continue to build upon their resume and get promoted to higher-paying jobs. You're not going to have that. You're not going to have that. There's no minimum wage jobs or there are fewer minimum wage jobs. You are going to make the pie smaller. You are going to hurt people. You are going to hurt waiters who are now going to get tipped less. You know, those waiters make a lot of money. They make more than $15 an hour. You know, oftentimes when you have those folks who are, you know, who are who are good waiters at good restaurants, you know, their minimum wage is $2.83 an hour. But because they're good, because they work hard, they make more than $15 an hour, and they're going to lose all that money in tips because Democrats want to raise the minimum wage for political reasons. Not because of economic reasons, but solely for political reasons. It's typical nonsense. This is what the priority of the Democrats are. It's not about people. It's not about jobs. It's about politics. Now, let's turn it around. And let's talk about Republicans doing something stupid, okay? I mean, that's, this is a rare instance you know, where we have to call out our own, but we're going to call out our own you know, when, it, when it comes to this, okay? Um, there was a bill. You might have heard it. It was part of the, um, you know, part of the uh, Reform on Tap legislation, and it was a bill that would have reduced um, – you know, that would have made it easier for – Brewers in the state of Maryland to sell their products directly to, um, you know, to make it easier for them to sell their products. It would have removed impediments to Maryland breweries selling their product. Okay, that's that's what we have here. Okay, and look, we know that Speaker Bush is in the pocket of the liquor distributors. Okay, that's why he has one of the liquor distributors as his campaign treasurer. So when the bill came up in the House Economic Matters Committee. Last week, the bill failed. The bill failed with a 17 to 4 vote with one delegate excuse. And you would think that with four delegates voting for this bill, that it would have been the four most conservative Republicans on the committee. No, 
It was Democrat Charles Barkley, Democrat uh, Wald Stryker, Democrat Luke Clippinger, and Democrat Bill Frick. This is not exactly the murderer's row of National Review-type candidates here, okay? These are not people that would agree with the things that William F. Buckley said. These are not people who read Milton Friedman on the regular. Okay, These are part of the left-wing Democrats from Montgomery County particularly who rule the roost in Annapolis. But they voted for free market reforms. They voted for free market reforms, and seven Republicans didn't. Now, if those seven Republicans had flipped their vote and voted for this bill, it would have passed out of committee and would have gone to the floor of the House. If those seven Republicans had sided with the four Democrats who voted with the bill, the bill would have passed out of the House. So why did they do this? I have absolutely no idea why seven Republicans decided to vote against the free market on this. It makes absolutely no freaking sense to me. And there's no downside to support it because it shows they support small businesses. The Republicans who voted against this bill, have, many of them have breweries in their districts. Okay, would have been a great campaign opportunity for them to show that they oppose the Democratic machine and that they side with small businesses. Okay, instead they took Bush's side and the other Annapolis insiders who make money from the crony capitalist status quo. So the Republicans who did vote against the free market on this were Chris Adams, Steve Arendt. Susan Allman, Seth Howard, Rick Impelaria, Johnny Motts, and Warren Miller. Okay. And those people, you know, generally speaking, people who have pretty good records when it comes to you know, when it comes to um when it comes to conservative issues. They have pretty good records when it comes to voting on the side of the free market. So why did they not do it here? I don't know. We've offered them the opportunity to explain their vote. We haven't heard anything from them yet, uh, and if, but if we do, we will be happy to send it along and publish it Okay, because there is literally no reason why any conservative should have voted against these bills that make it easier for uh, – you know, make it easier for these, these businesses to sell their product. It's absolutely crazy uh, that we have to do this. Fortunately, there's any positive to any of this. It's the fact that we've got about two and a half weeks left in the General Assembly session. We're, we're on the downhill slope. We've got about 18 days of insanity left, and then it'll be safe, at least from this crew of, uh, you know, this crew of delegates and senators. And then hopefully next time we'll replace them with a better crew of delegates and senators. But to do that, we'll have to have nominees, and that's something that we'll talk about on the, on, after the break because after the break, we are going to talk to you about the Maryland March poll. You do not want to miss what we're going to talk about here, the results of the Red Maryland March poll. And that is all coming with you or coming to you. That's easy for me to say after the break. Stick with us. You are listening to Red Maryland Radio on the Red Maryland Network. You can help Red Maryland grow our reach when you visit redmaryland.com and click on the Amazon link and shop as normal. A portion of your purchase will come back to Red Maryland to help us grow. Additionally, you can buy Red Maryland t-shirts, drinkware, and other gear from our Zazzle store at zazzle.com slash redmaryland. 
We want to hear from you. Email us at any time at redmaryland at gmail.com. You can also leave audio feedback on a Red Maryland talkback line at 410-205-4875. We might use your feedback on our programming. You are listening to Maryland's most trusted conservative voice, the Red Maryland Network. Be sure to follow Red Maryland on all of the major social networking sites. You can follow us at Red Maryland on Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, Google+, Snapchat, and Tumblr to get the latest from Red Maryland. And be sure to follow the home base for all things Red Maryland, redmaryland.com. Celebrating five years as Maryland's only network that matters. You're listening to the Red Maryland Network. You know, getting caught for a DUI is something that can happen to anyone. A simple mistake that can have serious lifelong consequences for the person who commits the offense. That's why if you're caught driving under the influence, you should have the best attorney standing up for you, protecting your rights. Gregory M. Klein is that attorney, a lawyer with a track record of strong defense for those arrested for DUI. If you need a lawyer, call 410-541-6DUI or visit annarundeldui.com. Gregory M. Klein, people on earth got that narrow casting right there but that's okay um you guys can figure it out for yourselves and if you know anybody who needs a lawyer dui lawyer um, particularly in wicomico county give greg klein a call enough of that though um let's talk about the red maryland poll okay uh the march poll came out uh obviously it closed on tuesday at 5 p.m little less participation this month, 225 participants. Most, not all counties checking in um, you know, this month, but we did have 14.2% um, of the uh, Central Committee members, or of the respondents were Central Committee members, about 32 total, which is uh, more than 10%, which I think of the Central Committee in total, which I think is a pretty good, uh, it's a pretty good number right there. And uh, of the 85.8% were not. Of the uh, of the people of the age, it's interesting because when you got a lot of twenty five to thirty four year olds, they actually believe it or not are our largest demographic this month twenty four 
25 to 34-year-olds, followed up by the Greg Klein demographic, 45 to 54, uh, and then 17.2 percent, 55 to 64-year-olds, uh, and 7.9 percent, 24 and under. Hey, no, don't say the kids aren't the kids aren't coming up. One thing, uh, for the first time, we finally, and this is the first time, by the way, that we got, um, you know, when, when we actually had all the official candidate lists, um, you know, all the way. You know, for an entire poll, okay? Uh, so, you know, we had for months we've been doing these polls. For months we've had people saying, why don't you have all the candidates on there? Why don't you have all the people who, uh, you know, why is this person, they're not filed, they shouldn't be on the poll? Well, that's how we did it, okay? And you can get your own poll if you don't like it. But this is the first time that we had all of the candidates in there, including all 11 candidates. Uh, for the United States Senate. I remember back a couple months ago when guy was we were on the show, Greg and I were having a conversation and uh, and we were discussing um you know, we were we were discussing about how um how I wish that we had a situation like we had in the past where uh you know, all these candidates had run for office and we had all these candidates to choose from running for the US Senate. Well, be careful what you wish for, I guess, because we have a, a whole litany of candidates. Some of them are good. Some of them, yeah. But needless to say, Tony Campbell is the big winner in this month's Red Maryland U.S. Senate poll. Um, 43.2% of the respondents are all in for Tony Campbell. Finishing in second place, which I think is a surprise, at least to me, is Brian Vaith at 8.9% with Christina Gregorian, Chafee. At 5.8%. Those are the only candidates who got north of 2%, by the way. Um, you know, And at that point, you're starting to get into rounding errors for the 1.6% for Nabu Ize. I, I'm sorry if I butchered that. The 1.1% for Bill Krenbrink and the 0.5% for Evan Cronhart, John Graziani, and Albert Howard. 0% for Gerald Smith and Blaine Taylor, by the way. So um, – you know, take that for what it's worth, but um, you know, I don't know what's going to happen in the U.S. Senate primary. I think obviously it is not the main event anywhere. The um, you know, it's it's very clear to me that uh, you know that this is this is not going to be the main event this year, and that's not the fault of the candidates. That's not you know that doesn't have to do with them. That's not necessarily a reflection on them, but. You know the priority this year is and will remain the governor's race, and it is and will remain the um, uh, you know, and, and it will remain the the candidates who are running for the general assembly and trying to get those candidates, um, you know, elected. So I think that's ultimately where you know where we're going to wind up. So um, you know, and, and so we'll see what happens. You know, it'll it'll be interesting to see where we go from here as it relates to the Senate election. Moving over to the first district, Andy Harris still has a big league, 63.6% over his the other competitors, Lamont Taylor at 5.9%, and Martin Elborn at 2.1%. I don't know, has a solid 28.3%. I seriously, seriously doubt um, that Andy Harris is in trouble, okay? I cannot possibly believe that he is going to um, 
you know, that he's possibly going to face a serious challenge with either of these two people, but you never know. Andy Harris is one of the few people who seems to, um, to draw challengers every time. You know, he doesn't never gets a free pass, even when he is clearly going to be the nominee. You know, the only serious, well, shit, let's be honest, he's never had a serious challenger. Mike Schmeagel wasn't a serious challenger, so um, he, he's never really had a serious challenger since he was, you know, since he became the nominee back in 2010. Yeah, you know, for the for the second time, not the first time, when he obviously ran against Wayne Gilchrist and E.J. Pipkin. Moving over to the second district, and this is an interesting. This is interesting. Okay, who'll be your first choice to be the Republican nominee for Congress in the second district? Mitch Toland has twenty seven point one percent of the vote. Hubert Owens has twenty three point eight percent of the vote, and Liz Matory has twenty one point nine percent of the vote. A very close race. Among those three, who gets the right, who the winner of which will get the right to face Dutch Rupersberger in the general election. In the third district, we have Rob Sefrith and Charles Anthony. Charles Anthony is at 10.8%, and Rob Sefrith is at 7.8%. I don't know, checks in at 81.3%. Uh, in the fifth district, now, there's, you know, George McDermott is unopposed in the 4th District. In the 5th District, William Devine trails Johnny Rice. Johnny Rice is at 12%. William Devine is at 10.8%. I have absolutely no idea who any of these folks are, or those folks are. So you are, uh, you are on your own there at the moment. I will be say, though, by the way, that you know, several of these candidates and many more are in the queue or have already been published on redmaryland.com, our candidate surveys. We are running them four a day. They are already scheduled out through the end of April. So these things are going to be coming at you hot and heavy, you know, at least for the next month. We're taking Easter off, but you know, we have hundreds of these things that are already in the queue. So uh, continue to go to redmaryland.com, and those will be forthcoming in the next several weeks. In the sixth district uh, for Congress, uh, Ami Hober, I think for the first time ever, wins the poll at 33.5 percent. Uh, Lisa Lloyd is second at 10.2%. Brad Roars is at 7.2%. Kurt Elsasser at 3%. I don't know checks in at 46.1%. I don't know getting a lot of support here uh, in most of these races. The 7th Congressional District. <sighs> I, you know, I, I don't even know what I could adequately say um, – I don't even know what I could really adequately say. May I present a pair of fellow sophisticates? It's actually quite a few pairs of fellow sophisticates, really. Um, <laughs> ah, the seventh district. We have the district that is the, the district that is the least competitive in a general election, has the m- most candidates running. You can't make the stuff up. But William Newton has 17.3% of the vote, and that leads ahead of Richmond Davis, who has 7.3%, Michael Pearson at 5.5%, Pinkston Harris at 4.2%, and Ray Bly at 1.2%. I don't know 54.5% of the vote. Um, in the 8th District, three other candidates I, I'm not familiar with, but John Walsh has 10.5% of the vote, Bridget Cooper 9.9% of the vote. Victor Williams, 3.3%. I don't know, 76.4%. Let's move on to some non-federal races. I mean, look, the, realistically, um, 
you know, realistically, I'm not sure how much play other than the sixth district that, that is going to get. Yeah, that Republicans are going to have as far as running in the general election. Let's just be honest right here. So, you know, those those races have garnered less interest, and as you can tell, you know, we're not talking about particularly well-known candidates. But here in Baltimore County, we do have some place. You know, we do have an election that people should be interested in. You know, between Al Redmer and and Pat McDonough for Baltimore County Executive, and Al Redmer does uh, get back on top this month with a forty-six point five percent. Percentage of the vote. Pat McDonough at 27.9%. And I don't know at 25.6%. Guessing Pat McDonough's uh, still resting his laurels on that bill that would make it illegal for Al Redmer to run for county executive. But, you know, Pat McDonough is going to have a lot of free time on his hands, I think, after, uh, you know, after the primary election. So he'll have plenty of time to think up of new stuff. In Frederick County, at this moment, who will be your first choice to be the Republican nominee for Frederick County Executive? Kathy Afzali is at 29.9%. Kirby DeLauder is at 14%. Regina Williams, 6.4%. I don't know, 49.7%. At this moment, who will be your first choice to be the Republican nominee for State Senate in the 3rd District? Craig G. and Grande at 25.5%. Billy Shreve, 12.4%. I don't know, 62.1%. Now, this question we had polled before the court issue came out, so we decided to just leave it in there and go with it. At this moment, who will be your first choice to be the Republican nominee for state Senate in the 42nd District in 2018? Jimmy Mathis got 26.1%. Chris West, 22.9%. I don't know, 51%. Of course, Jimmy Mathis was kicked off the ballot this week. Um, he, there was a, a suit was filed that says he did not live in the 42nd District. The judge agreed with him. Uh, you know, we'll we'll see how that plays out. I know that that Mathis said he was going to appeal the ruling, so we'll see what ultimately happens with that. But uh, if if he stays off the ballot, obviously Chris West will be the Republican nominee for state senate in District 42. At this moment, who will be your first choice to be the Republican nominee for House of Delegates in District 1C? And right now, the incumbent Mike McKay leads with 17.9 percent. Nicole Alt Myers, the wife of Leroy Myers. Former delegate himself, 10.6%. Jordan Lyshek has uh, 6% of the vote. I don't know, 65.6%. District 7, who will be your top three choices to be the Republican nominees for House of Delegates in District 7? Now, there are 13 people on the ballot for this, which is totally insane. 13 people for three spots. I have no idea how you could possibly differentiate yourself if you are a candidate in this race and you are not one of the two well-known candidates because you have two incumbents. If you think about it from the perspective of um you know if you think about it from the perspective of the incumbents have the advantage, well then you have to assume that Kathy Shalega and Rick Ampelaria have the advantage. Kathy Shalega of course gets 34.5% of the vote, far away ahead of everybody else. David Seaman, though, comes in second at 10% of the vote. Rick Impolari is third with 9.6% of the vote. And then from there, Tammy Larkin's got 7.6%. Lauren Erican has 5.9%, which is tied with Michael Jeppe. Um, you have Pavel Paulshock, who's a former Democrat, uh, and Aaron Penman at 4.8%. Angela Studano Marcelino has 5.2%. Norm Gifford has 1.7%. Russ English is 3.1%. Joshua Barlow has got 2.8%. It's a crapshoot, okay? So if you assume that Impolaria and Shalega are going to be nominated by default, you really got 11 people fighting for one spot, which is just for a House of Delegates race is just totally off the chain. 
In District 27B, your choice to be the Republican nominee for House of Delegates, Phil Parente gets gets 37.4% of the vote. Michael Thomas, 13.5% of the vote. I don't know. Checks in at 49.1% of the vote. At this moment, who will be your three choices to be the Republican nominees for the House of Delegates in District 33? Um, And again, the incumbents are far and ahead. Sid Saab has 23.8%. He's the first. Tony McConkie is second with 21.2%, and Mike Ballone is third with 20.8%, but Jerry Walker's got 18.1%. And that's a big drop-off from those four down to the next three, where you have Stacey McDonald at 7.4%, Connor McCoy at 5.6%, and perennial candidate Tom Angeles, who has been on the ballot for something pretty much every year since 2002, since he first ran for Anne Arundel County Executive, is at 3%. Um, Angelos, of course, ran as a Democrat in 2014. That didn't really work out for him, so he's trying again as a Republican, and we'll see how that works out for him. Probably not well. At this moment, who will be your first choice to be the Republican nominee for House of Delegates in District 38C? And Joe Shano uh, has 17.7% of the vote. Ed Tennis, 7.8%. Wayne Hartman, 6.4%. Jim Schaefer, 2.8%. I don't know. Checks in at 65.2%. So who will be your two choices to be the Republican nominees for the House of Delegates in District 42B in 2002? Nino Mangione, far and away, 40.7% of the vote, WCBM host. And Tim Robinson at 28.4% of the vote also has a big lead over the third-place candidate, Raymond Bocelli, who has 11.7%. Justin Kinsey has 9.9%, and Joe Sandy, 9.3%. So then… We get to everybody's favorite part, which is the open-ended question, the comedy unloading zone, as Greg might say. And uh, these are and, and look, you guys didn't you guys didn't really do all that much this time. This is not nearly the list of um, not nearly the list of questions, not nearly the list of comments that we are are used to having. So, um, well, there we go. Voting for Francho for Comptroller. GOP candidate beyond disappointing. Man, you are telling me. You are telling me. Anjali Reed Fukan, um, if I remember correctly, let me see if I can I can I can pull that up. Um I know that she has a uh she has an event coming up. And um I I believe I gotta see if I can find this thing about the event. It's it's actually totally Totally insane. Um, that it's like a it's a um, it's it's an event. The campaign kickoff. So let's let's let let's talk about this, okay? So we've got Anjali Fukan is having a campaign kickoff. This event's on Facebook, folks. It is what it is. It's out out in Oakland, Maryland. <laughs> you know, Garrett County. Controller of Maryland, we will start with the Pledge of Allegiance, we version of the full serenity prayer, the Lord's Prayer, and a silent meditation for all at the top of Backbone Mountain, Holy Crest, the highest point in Maryland. I will then introduce my platform. Refreshments will be available. Please RSVP. Yeah, not sure what to do with that, but 
So I look, I'm not voting for Peter Franchot. I don't vote for Democrats, particularly in statewide elections, but I'm you know right in somebody good. That's all I can tell you. Is Attorney General not listed because only one Republican filed? Yes, Craig Wolf. You should get to know him. We have a good candidate for Attorney General. That's a good thing. The Republican primary in my area looks to be rather underwhelming. I I don't know don't know what area you're in, so you tell us. Should be a very interesting election. Mark Shell has the best chance to unseat Dutch. Does Tony Campbell have just as good a shot at winning statewide against Ben Cardin or Chelsea Manning as Craig Wolf does against Brian Frosch? I don't know where you're going with that. Vote early, vote often. Fire Linda Lamone, Administrator, State Board of Elections. Well, as many of you know, that can't be done because back when the Board of Elections under Bob Ehrlich, you know, under his appointees, was going to fire her, but then the state senate, you know, Mike Miller got emergency legislation passed requiring a unanimous vote of the Board of Elections to do that, um, and of course that was 15 years ago. So, voting for Peter Francho in the comptroller race. Yeah, I see. Think we're going to get that a lot this year. Haven't you seen the proof that Baltimore City elections are a fraud? I've I've heard I've seen the report. I don't know, you know, that's only a Republican primary, so we'll see. The party is being overrun by progressives. WTF? I don't know I don't know what you're talking about, but we'll find out. Newton1776.com. William Newton checking in. Life of a salmon. Fishing the bear says it all. Read the book. This will be a very difficult election year for the GOP. If you live in District 33, please single-shot Jerry Walker. He's the only one who knows what he's doing. I wish Greg Klein were here to include himself in that conversation. Taxation is theft. Good to see the CFL checking in. Add a question about the Senate race in District 27. Jesse P. needs to be our nominee. His opponent is a phony. Jesse is a formidable challenger to Mike Miller. Some of those things are accurate. I did not choose any name. I have not seen any of them to be Trump supporter in TV. I have never heard of the vast majority of these people. You need to get the word out on each of them. Yes, that's what we're trying to do with our campaign surveys. You can help us share those campaign surveys, let people know about Red Maryland. Okay? Robin will win, MoCo executive. To win, we to select the right candidate. Not just for merit or being a nice person, someone that can win and been elected by the voters. Wow. You know, English, people judge you by the, by the way, words you use. Nothing. I am way too drunk to understand this quiz. No. Retrievers, what did you think about the ultimate deletion? Delete! 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 I wish Greg were here for this conversation because he loves it when we have to talk about wrestling things. It was what it was, okay? If you had seen Final Deletion, if you had seen Total Nonstop Deletion, you knew what you were going to get. They WWF'd it, WWE'd it, if, however you wish to say, and um, – you know, it is what it is. Okay, it, it's a lot better than a lot of the crap that's been been on Raw and SmackDown recently, particularly, um, particularly, um, <laughs> you know, particularly when it comes to, um, 
SmackDown. God, that's been pretty bad recently. Well, that's the Red Maryland poll, okay? And uh, thank you, everybody, for participating. The results, full results will be posted at redmaryland.com. We're going to take one more break, and uh, we're going to talk about the seventh anniversary and a little bit of reflection on the other side of the break. Stick with us. You are listening to Red Maryland Radio on the Red Maryland Network, and we will be right back after this timeout. You can help Red Maryland grow our reach when you visit redmaryland.com and click on the Amazon link and shop as normal. A portion of your purchase will come back to Red Maryland to help us grow. Additionally, you can buy Red Maryland t-shirts, drinkware, and other gear from our Zazzle store at zazzle.com slash redmaryland. We want to hear from you. Email us at any time at redmaryland at gmail.com. You can also leave audio feedback on our Red Maryland talkback line at 410-205-4875. We might use your feedback on our programming. You are listening to Maryland's most trusted conservative voice, the Red Maryland Network. Be sure to follow Red Maryland on all of the major social networking sites. You can follow us at Red Maryland on Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, Google+, Snapchat, and Tumblr to get the latest from Red Maryland. And be sure to follow the home base for all things Red Maryland, redmaryland.com. Celebrating five years as Maryland's only network that matters. You're listening to the Red Maryland Network. Since the beginning, by the way, my name is Brian Griffiths, Greg Klein, off this evening. Um, for people who have, uh, have been here since the beginning, they might recognize that, uh, that that was the original theme song to Red Maryland Radio, This Fire Burns by, by Killswitch Engage. And I say that because this is the seventh anniversary of the Red Maryland Network. And, of course, we got a little clip here, uh, a clip from the very first Red Maryland Radio. And Red Maryland Radio. To, to, to quote my, uh, to, to paraphrase the inner, my inner Tony Reale, we are back after a 22,488-hour break. Uh, this is Brian Griffiths here at Red Maryland Radio, the flagship show of the Red Maryland Network, joining me in studio today, my, uh, my always co-host, Greg Klein. Yeah, I don't know if I have intertonal reality, but I'm here. It's good to be here. <laughs> and joining us from his palatial eastern shore estate, 
the media superstar Mark Nugent. Mark. Hey, good to be with you guys. Uh, actually, I've moved out of the palatial estate, and due to the war with Libya, I'm now in an undisclosed underground bunker. Well, for the record, let that let that reflect that we are not at war with Libya. We are merely engaged in a uh, in a kinetic military action. So that was from the very first episode, March twenty fourth, two thousand eleven. So this is seven years we've been doing this. Seven years, as Andrew Langer um, might say, and of course. You know, we've had a lot of people come and go on the network since then. Red Maryland Radio is the flagship. You know, we are on. This is our 354th, 354th episode of Red Maryland Radio, which means you'll notice that uh, we've taken, we've missed about 10 shows. Uh, you know, there have only been about 10 weeks that we haven't done a show, uh, you know. In the course of the last seven years, you know whether it was um, me flying solo, Greg flying solo, um, you know some of our other co-hosts, you know Mark, Mark Nugent, you know sitting in, you know the chair. I know there was one episode where Mark Nugent and Dennis McIver hosted the flagship, but uh, you know, look, it's been a hell of a ride, and it's fun, and we are we're still having fun. Um, you know, Greg, I know this this is this is Greg's ballywick. Greg loves doing the podcast. I mean, Greg started the first real. Maryland political podcast anywhere. Um, you know, one of you may argue may have been one of the first locally sourced podcasts about Maryland anywhere, about you know, by anybody doing anything. So, I mean, realistically, you know, we are we have been, um, you know, and, and Greg will tell the story. You know, back when we started, you know, the Conservative Refuge podcast, which predates any Red Maryland stuff, you know. That people didn't even know what a podcast was at that point. You know, it was very hard to listen to. It's not like now where everybody's got their phone with them at all times. It's hooked up to their car. They've got Stitcher. They've got Spreaker. All the TuneIn, iTunes, all the stuff that you can get Red Maryland programming on. You actually had to use a. Uh, you actually had to use a use of an iPod. You know, back when people had iPods that were separate. So you know, and and you know, for those of you who haven't gotten the story, we'll do the short story. You know, Red Maryland was contacted by Warren Monks. Um, you know, we were guests on the Warren Monks show, which was on the Dinosaur in the Cornfield, you know, AM 970 WAMD Aberdeen. And, uh, you know, that kind of you – know, we were guests on, on Warren's show several times. Then he turned it over to us, and we did four episodes of re- flagship Red Maryland radio uh, on, on WAMD back in 2008, the last show that we did before WAMD was sold was the night of the Republican convention in 2008 where we discussed um, – where we discussed – you know, it was uh, the opening week actually, and we actually discussed who the vice presidential pick would be, and we were convinced it was going to be Tim Pawlenty. You know, we had a lot of guests on that show. We had some guy who was running the McCain campaign in Maryland at that time named Andrew Langer. He was on the show. Um, you know, So that was a lot of fun, and then it took two and a half years – two and a half years – um, for um, you know, it, it's for us to decide that we were going to do, yeah, that we were going to do the podcast thing, and we've been doing it ever since. And of course, like I said, at one point we grew to seven. Um, you know, we grew to seven shows. Uh, at one point, we had a show for every day of the week, and we're kind of in a nice stasis right now. Um, you know, where we have, um, you know, we have a, um, 
you know, where we have our four shows, sort of, we have four shows. Um, you know, Greg has, uh, Greg's been, you know, with his lawyering, Greg said to kind of take some time off from the conservative refuge. But, you know, this is fun. <laughs> we like doing it. Um, it's, you know, opened a lot of doors for us. Obviously, we had our WTHU gig for a while, which we left. Um, and boy, was, boy, was that ever a good decision um, for a variety of reasons. And, you know, most of them were, were related to, um, you know, most of them were, were, were not related to the station itself. But, you know, we have been happy. You know, we're part of this Maryland podcast ecosystem. And, you know, to that effect, you know, a rising tide can lift all boats. Okay. So something that, uh, that we are going to take charge on is that, uh, we're going to say that, that, um, that May is Maryland podcast month. Okay. And Maryland podcast month is, uh, something that we're, we're going to help promote Maryland podcasts of all stripes. It's a nonpartisan thing, you know, so we're going to, we're going to try to get non you know, liberal podcasts involved, non-political podcasts involved. Basically, as long as you're not a jerk, you can be involved. Um, you know, in Maryland Podcast Month, and we're going to try to, you know, we're going to try to lift all boats, and we're trying to get more eyes on more podcasts, you know, more ears on more podcasts, and get people to learn about the podcasts that are out there. I'm sure there are great Maryland podcasts that I would love that I don't know about, and I know that there are people out there who, even after seven years, don't know that Red Maryland is out there and don't know the Red Maryland Network. So um, that's something that we are going to do. Um, you know, it's, you know, um, something that we're going to do and we're going to try to promote podcasts and, and, you know, is it a way to help Red Maryland? Of course it's a way to help Red Maryland, but it's also a way to help other good podcasting content that is out there. I listen to a lot of podcasts. I'm sure you do as well. So we are going to take the charge and try to create a better, you know, Maryland podcasting environment and May is Maryland podcast month. And we're going to try to work with others, and hopefully the idea is that shows will cross-promote each other, that we will have guests on other shows, and uh, you know, we will, we'll see what happens. If it works, great. If it doesn't, yeah, we tried. You know, that's the best that I can, uh, that's the best that I can say. Um, you know, and, and look, one way that we are going to do that is um, you know, you'll be able to go to Maryland Podcast Month to learn more about Maryland Podcast Month, of which Red Maryland is kind of the flagship show of that as well. And uh, we're going to try to, uh, you know, try to make sure that all Maryland podcasts have the opportunity to participate in that. I think it's time to bring this ship into port uh, here on Red Maryland Radio. And uh, it's been a great seven years, obviously, 354 episodes, and we're looking to do the next seven years as well, particularly in this lead up to 2018's general election, the biggest election of our freaking lives. OK, can't say this enough biggest election of our lives it's huge huge um thank you again for joining us we have shows throughout the week this weekend you'll be able to hear a new episode of red maryland election focus where greg uh, interviews the candidates um that are uh that are running in this year's election you talk about people you know want to know more about candidates here's how you know more about candidates listen to red maryland election focus and follow our candidate surveys that are over at redmaryland.com Sunday, I'm back with another episode of The Air Raid. Tuesdays is The Conservative Refuge with Greg Klein, usually, but this Tuesday, it will be a special episode of Red Maryland Radio, the flagship, on a Tuesday night. Obviously, with Holy Week, we don't do a show on Thursday, 
Uh, Tuesday is the day it's going to work for us. So we're back in five days for another episode of the flagship here on the Red Maryland Network. For you to participate in that and have Red Maryland programming automatically download the device of your choice, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, on Spreaker, on TuneIn, and on Google Play. And those podcasts will automatically be downloaded to the device of your choice. And while you're there, please give us a five-star rating. That's how we get more popular. That's how we get in front of more eyeballs, um, in addition, obviously, to supporting Maryland Podcast Month. The home base for all things Red Maryland, of course, is redmaryland.com. While you're there, click on the Support Us link, and you will find all sorts of ways to support us, including distributing flyers as part of our street team, donating to us. Um, you, know, you can go to paypal.me slash redmaryland, and you can do that. You can subscribe, obviously, to the podcast, but also subscribe to our newsletter and have the best of Red Maryland delivered to you every week in your email inbox. You can also click on the Amazon link and make your purchases on that Amazon link, and a portion of your purchase comes back to Red Maryland at no cost to you. Click on the link, shop as normal, buy your stuff. Easter's coming. Buy yourself an Easter hat like Greg has, and you will be able to uh, help out Red Maryland in the process. You can also go to Zazzle.com slash Red Maryland and buy your Red Maryland network gear. And of course... And uh, you can do that facebook.com slash Red Maryland. We are on uh, we're on Twitter at Red Maryland. We are on Instagram at Red Maryland. And um, you can just be you know like us, share us. Um, you know you are the force multiplier. Okay, you are the one who can uh, who can go ahead and uh, you know who can go ahead and. Make sure that that information gets shared. If people want to know more about the candidates, you can be an integral part of that. Okay. Um, and you know what? I forgot something. Okay. Before we go, I forgot something. Okay. Um, and that was because we were going to do it and I forgot to do it. And now I'm going to do it before I go because if I'm nothing, if not a full service podcast host. Letters from Mark, Mark, Mark. We had an email come in, and I wanted to make sure that we that we get to this. It was from AE. Let's just go with AE, okay? Um, I will get in a lot of trouble if my fellow students at Redacted College see this, but I am hoping that Republicans in the state make gains in these upcoming 2018 elections. I still believe that Hogan will be reelected, but what are chances that the Republicans make gains in the area that I reside on campus? These areas include the 3rd Congressional District on a national level and District 30 for the State Senate and District 30A for the House of Delegates. Well, it's very good in the State Senate. Okay, It's very good. Ron George is a kick-ass candidate uh, who, is going to, who has been running for the seat for three years. He deserves the seat. He is the best person to represent um, – You know, he is the best person to represent um, – the people of District 30. Okay, he is he is well qualified. District 30A, little harder to say. Okay, uh, it's it's a little harder to say because the candidates that you have in District 30A, the House race, um, I don't know a lot of them. Okay, and you know that obviously makes it, um, you know that obviously makes it harder. Um, you've got Darren Burns, you've got Chelsea Gill, you've got Bob O'Shea, you've got Doug Rathel. 
Uh, Bob O'Shea is the only one I know anything about. He ran for mayor of Annapolis in 2013. Uh, when we endorsed Mike Panelides, he called from, from his vacation in France to complain to me that we shouldn't have endorsed him, which kind of should be a clue. What kind of what kind of person you're dealing with there? If he's in if he was in France on vacation three weeks before the primary, he's certainly not going to run hard for the seat. Um, you know, so take that for what it's worth. District thirty state senate, yeah, it's going to be okay. All right, it's going to be okay. Ron George is going to be a state senator. That's 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 my lock. That's my pick. Okay, so now that we've gone backwards, that we've gone. Um, you know that we we kind of took some some listener mail there. Now I'm going to wrap up the show because I'm a professional disc jockey, if I'm nothing else. So thank you very much for listening. Thank you for being supporting supportive of us of the last um, seven years, and we're looking forward to many many more years to come. For everybody here at the network, thank you very much for listening. I'm Brian Griffiths. You have been listening to Red Maryland Radio on the Red Maryland Network. Good night. Oh, radio.